0: If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open with me today to Matthew chapter 16. So Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to be camping out. and want to encourage you to follow along. We always want to point you to the Word of God and just remind you that what we say is not made up. We're not making this up. It's anchored in what the Word of God declares and what He says. And We want to welcome you to week 10 of a 13-week series that has us as a faith family walking through the Apostles' Creed which is the oldest of all the, the Christian creeds. So it's it's not just old, it's also very bold in what it's proclaiming. Bolder than we can even imagine. In, in fact, the, the fearlessness of these claims oftentimes get, get lost on us. As we said from week one, when the early Christians stood and recited this creed, it was simultaneously their greatest act of rebellion. They were rebelling against... Um, What Rome was telling them to proclaim, they were rebelling. Even at the risk of their lives, they were rebelling. And at the same time, it was their greatest act of allegiance. They were united together based on what they believed and what they had rejected and what had brought them together, namely um, Christ. And this morning, we're, we're switching gears as we come to the phrase, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints. And we don't believe that this is two phrases, but we believe this is kind of one phrase that helps distinguish who we are as the people of God and just kind of um, give us a picture of the community that we are a part of. And up to this point, the creed has given us a picture of who God is. And just remember, anything we know about God, um, we know because God revealed it to us. None of us discover something that God didn't want us to know and God said, well, I guess I got to give it to him. No, everything that we know about God, God revealed um, it to us. And one of the ultimate things that God has revealed to us as his people is that he is triune in nature, meaning he is father, he is son, he is the Holy Spirit, three persons and yet one. And although it's confusing to us It is certainly not confusing to God the Father or God the Son or God the Spirit. They have it all figured out. Um, We are the ones that oftentimes lack in understanding how it all works together. And when we think about the Trinity, we think about three distinct persons, one God who live in perfect unity, who live in perfect fellowship, meaning that when we understand the perfect fellowship of the Godhead, we realize that God didn't create us because he was lonely. God didn't create us and look at us and say, you complete me. That is not the picture that we see um, in, in Scripture. So the question becomes, if God didn't make us because he needed us, then why did he make us? And the ultimate answer is, God made us for his pleasure God made us as objects of His love. Or, as we say oftentimes, we exist or we were created to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So we were created, we exist to glorify God, to enjoy Him forever and ever and ever. And in enjoying Him, we are able to enjoy each other. We are able to enjoy each other as the family of God. So because God is relational, God made us to have relationships first with Him but also with each other. So at this point in the creed, the creed turns its attention from the nature of God and the gospel to the people that have been created by the gospel, which are the church, which is us. Um, If you are a born-again believer, being part of the church, and if you want to know what God is up to or what God has been up to or what God will be up to in in the universe, just know this. God is reconciling us. A people to himself through his son. And as a result of that, God is reconciling us to each other. He's bringing us, reconciling us to himself through his son, but also reconciling us to each other, where we are able to get along not on our preferences, but on the fact that we have been saved and indwelt by the spirit of God. I love the words of Michael Horton here, who says, from what God does in history, we are taught certain things about who he is and what it means to be created in his image fallen and redeemed renewed and glorified in union with Christ as the father creates his church in his son and by his spirit we come to realize that this covenant community is what it means to belong to it what kind of future is promised to us in Christ and how we are to live here and now in light of it all so we need to understand what it means to belong to each other as the people of god what it what it means that how we are to live as the people Of God. And when we started this series 10 weeks ago, I knew that there would be two phrases that would probably cause some issues and probably some confusion um, for us when we got there. The first phrase, of course, was he descended to hell. We're going to recite that in just a second. And when we said that, I could feel the collective um, wondering, well, did he? Did he descend to hell? And, you know, we addressed this on our Good Friday service. So some of us weren't here, but here's Here's the answer. Did Jesus descend to hell? And we say yes and no. Yes, we believe that Jesus ascended to hell on the cross. That he endured all of the wrath of God for our sin upon the cross. Every last drop of the wrath of God that we deserve, Christ endured on the cross. And then Christ uttered these three amazing words. It is finished. Meaning, I don't have to suffer for sin anymore. So if Jesus did descend to hell, it meant that it wasn't finished. But we believe it was. Secondly, if Jesus descended to hell, then what he told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, wasn't true. So we believe that Jesus died. He descended to death. We believe that. And we believe that on the cross, Jesus went through hell. He went through hell for us. And that is the the picture that we hold to. And you might say, well, then why do we keep it in the creed? Why do we recite it? And we recite it because... Of course, that phrase wasn't added until um, the 6th century, but we recite it to remind us that Jesus did endure hell, that he endured hell for us on the cross. And then, of course, the second phrase that I knew would bring confusion is that the phrase we come to this morning, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints. And I know that each time we declare that, some of you are thinking, I thought we were Baptists. Apparently, Mike is going to make us Catholic. And trying to figure that out or... I know when we say it, some of us maybe get uncomfortable by it. And before we dive into the, that phrase or this phrase and the complexities of it, I just want to begin with the beautiful word, church. It's a word that we use. The Greek, it is ekklusia, um, and it means to call out, to call out of, to call out of the world. And although the literal meaning is that, the problem is that sometimes we have the definition of, um, and we, we kind of just stop at being called out and forget the fact that not only are we a called out people, but we are also a called together people. So a lot of people live the called out part. Um, I, I'm called out of Christ and just live that way, but we don't live the called together part, that we are called together. So in order to help us there, understand this, we are an assembly, assembly of, of Christians, assembly of saints who have been called out of the world and have been called into the family of God. And that is who we are as God's people. So, with that said, what we're going to do, if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand. We are going to recite the creed together. And I ask that we do that with deep conviction um, and and passion in what we're saying. Then we're going to let the creed point us to the word of God. And we're going to read Matthew 16, um, verses 13 through 20 together. So if you can, we're going to begin by reciting that creed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life of Now, if we can look at Matthew 16. So the creed always points us to the authority of God's word. Beginning at verse 13, it says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to your word, to the creed, Father, to this beautiful picture of us as the holy Catholic church and the communion that we have as saints. Lord, help us to see the beauty of this. Help us not to miss, God, just the, the beautiful picture of what you have created, what you have designed, or Jesus, what you died in order to build and purchase. God, just open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears to your word and to your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So the first thing I want to do is kind of get through this picture of Matthew 16 and kind of just lay a foundation. Then we're going to kind of unpack uh, the two uh, phrases or kind of split them in half and see them as two phrases, even though it's, it's one, and just do that together. And it's important for us to understand when we think about what we just read that Jesus was the first person to ever mention the word church. Unfortunately, this verse or th- these verses, excuse me, have um, the text has been abused um, and misunderstood throughout church history, um, particularly when it comes to Peter, meaning that uh, Roman Catholics interpret these verses to mean that Peter is the rock upon which Jesus would build the church. And for that reason, Peter is the first pope in a long line of successive popes. Um, We, however, on the other hand, do not see it that way. We see it quite differently. Instead of believing that Jesus was referring to Peter as the foundation of the church, we believe that Jesus was talking about um, Peter's declaration. What Peter said in this moment when Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what we believe is that that... That in and of itself is the rock upon which the church is built. That foundation, that confession that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And while scripture points us to Peter's instrumental role in the church in Acts 2, he stands up, he proclaims on that first day of Pentecost, we understand this, this text is not about a supreme pope. This text is about a supreme savior. It is pointing us not to Peter, it's pointing us to Jesus. That he is the Christ, he is the son of the living God. And anytime the gospel is proclaimed, the church is being built. Every time the, the gospel is being proclaimed, the church is being built. And know this, Jesus is the builder of the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. Therefore, churches don't come into being just because a majority of people vote them in. That is not the picture. If you think that's how churches come into being with we get up and we do a vote. And if we voted in and therefore it's a church. No, Jesus builds his church. And according to him, the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. In fact, I love this, that in ancient times, cities were always built with huge walls and very secure gates. But even though that was the case, oftentimes when, when battles took place, the enemy would often attack the gates first because they knew if they could get the gates, then the city would soon crumble and soon fall. Well, Jesus mentions here the gates of hell or the gates of Hades referring to death, referring to the, the gates that that the death kind of takes over and and these gates continue to push forward and continue to lock people in and what jesus is saying here is this i'm going to die i'm going to be buried these gates are going to close me in and i'm going to bust out of them because they will not prevail against me nor will they prevail against my church brothers and sisters if it couldn't hold him it won't hold us if if It won't prevail. If it can't prevail against him, it can't prevail against us. And I love this because here's the beautiful thing. We think the gates of hell will not prevail. And we think, well, here come the gates battling us. Who uses gates for a weapon? Nobody. Therefore, the gates aren't a weapon. We're the ones that have the weapon. We're the ones that have Christ. Therefore, the gates, we push back because the authority of Christ... That we have. Let's stop seeing death and Hades and hell as the weapon. No, we have the weapon. And all of that is defeated. So with that fleshed out just a little bit, and maybe I just brought more confusion um, than clarity, and if so, we can talk later. Um, I want to cover the phrase, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, we embrace, we hold fast to God's revelation of, holy catholic church the communion that we have together and we we believe that it is a glorious truth and we believe it is a beneficial truth for us as god's people so we're going to take um, this long phrase and separate it into, and then kind of let these two truths just rise to the surface so the first truth we're going to unpack together today is this the church of christ is universal so the church of christ is universal so when we say the holy catholic church It is not a reference to the Roman Catholic Church. The word Catholic there means universal. It means um, general, concerning the whole, universal. It was first used in this sense in the second century when Ignatius of Antioch declared where Jesus is, there is the Catholic Church. It means it's universal, it's all across the globe. When we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, what we are saying is this, Christ himself is the foundation and all who have trusted Christ as Savior and Lord are members of the universal church. Therefore, get your mind around this, because I don't think we don't do a very good job of getting our mind around this. We are a part of something so much bigger than we can imagine. Oftentimes we think our church is just our four walls and wherever we attend church. And we forget the fact that church goes on so much further than Jacksonville, so much further than America. It goes into all of the world. We're part of a people who from the beginning of mankind, God called to himself. We're a part of that. We're a historic people. Think about this. Throughout history, God's people have known Him, worshipped Him, believed Him, honored Him, and we're a part of that. We're connected to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're connected to Moses, Joshua, and David. We're connected to the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel. We're connected to the 12 disciples. We're connected to all of, uh, of these that we read about in Scripture. We're a historic People. We didn't create this, brothers and sisters. It's been going on from the beginning. And not only are we a historic people, we're a global people. There are people all over the globe. And we can't understand what they're saying, nor can we sympathize with what they're living in. Yet, the point is, just so we can get our heads around, what we are a part of goes beyond, well beyond, what we see right here today. It goes well beyond what we see. People all over the earth in different Languages, context, styles today and throughout the week are gathering together to worship God because they believe what we are declaring. And you and I have been woven into that. We are woven into something that is all over the the world. It's diverse. It's beautiful. It's global. It's just bigger than we think it is. Let me just say this. I love what God is doing through First Baptist Ocean Way. I love what God is doing. In fact, I And I I don't mean to be prideful and I give God glory, but what we are accomplishing here at this church, churches that are 10 times our size aren't accomplishing some of the things that we're accomplishing because we believe in God. They're not going as far as we're going. They're not reaching people right where they are. They're not um, reaching people who are hurting and actually doing something about it as we're doing here. And I, I get excited about that. I'm thankful for that. And granted, I thank God for you, but I also thank God that he uses us in spite of us. So that's the beautiful thing. He uses us in spite of us. And I I get excited about that. But if I'm not careful, I find myself marveling maybe just a little too much. And what I mean by that is I forget that even though everything we do is eternally important. So everything we do is eternally important. It is just a small part of what God is doing around the globe. Just a small part of what God is doing. And what God is doing, it won't stop. I, I love the fact that every so often I hear parents who are talking among themselves, and the context of this conversation is always great. But oftentimes, the parents will ask each other, Hey, are you going to have any more kids? And oftentimes, the, the answer is, We're done. We are. And like I said, the context of that um, is, is really big and really huge. But I hear parents all the time, Nope, we're done. We, we have enough. Um, God says, Stop. But here's the beautiful thing. If God were to answer that question, God wouldn't say, I'm done. God would say, No, I'm, I'm gonna keep going. We're gonna keep, we're gonna keep claiming and adopting and saving people from all over the world, and we're gonna bring them into the family. The Bible says, Once you were not a people, and now you are a people. So when we say the Holy Catholic Church, we are referring to people everywhere all over the globe who are worshiping the God that we worship. And this is why we encourage every member of our church to to be a part in some form or fashion in world missions. Let me just speak on my own experiences real quick. There is nothing more humbling and there's nothing more mind-blowing than watching men and women of different tribes, different contexts, different languages, worshiping God, whether it be in a small, hot room, Mm whether it be outside in a hot area and yet they are getting after god they're getting after god i mean we i remember in india we went to one of the pastor's house who lived right behind the church and right when we walked in he said um just be careful for cobras and i was like oh no i'm not going in if you live in among the cobras brother that's not me and i'm just thinking just think about this context and of course Here we are watching these brothers and sisters and I'm turning over to Mike or Larry going, I think they just said Jesus. I think they said, maybe they said Jesus and we're kind of holding to that. Or what I do know or what I think is that hallelujah means hallelujah in every language. Every country I've been to, I get hallelujah. I've got that. But there's something so that it kind of, I guess, burns inside of you. When you see that we are caught up in something that's so much bigger than us. The first time I ever remember it was in 2007. We were in Haiti. And I'm sitting there, and these brothers and sisters are just rejoicing in God, and they're singing, and I'm just praying. And in that moment, God just reminded me, this is what you're a part of. It's not just 212 Sago Avenue, or not just Jacksonville. You're a part of this. And to see that play out in Costa Rica, or in Ecuador, or in India, and just just to behold that. Or think about, we get a glimpse of this in Revelation 7, and it's on the screen. John writes in the Spirit, Behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The beautiful picture is according to what God allowed John to see. There will be people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation who will be around the throne of God, worshiping him as their God and their Savior. We are caught up in that. We are part of the church universal. And that is something that should blow our minds. Yet, it doesn't stop there. So the church of Christ is universal, but then secondly, the church of Christ is relational. The church of Christ is relational. So the the creed moves from our position inside the universal family of God to the communion of saints, which is where, we cross, where our lives cross paths, where we come together, where our lives collide in a meaningful way. And this happens in a local gathering like this, like we are a part of. The, the church is not just an abstract idea. The church is a concrete idea. It exists, and it exists within community, and it exists for community. This week I read an amazing definition of the local church that I love, and it says this, a local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ. Listen to that. To officially affirm and oversee each other's membership in Jesus Christ and his kingdom through gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. And we are participating in this ordinances today, baptism and then communion. And just understand that while it may seem popular in our culture, to believe that you can be a Christian without being committed to a local church, that idea is completely foreign from the Word of God. You will never read a scripture or see it encouraged to be a part of the body of Christ and say, but I'm really not going to, I love Jesus, but I really don't like the, the church. Listen, being a part of the body of Christ is essential to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. In fact, there are over 50 one another verses um, in the New Testament that speak about our obligation to each other in the local body of believers. I'm not going to read them all, many of them repeat themselves, but I am going to read I'm going to read some of them this morning. And as I read them, let, let me lay this before you. If you are not living out these one another verses with other brothers and sisters, you are missing out on the whole of what Christ came to build. You're missing out. On what Christ wants to accomplish in you and through you. And I know sometimes we go, Well, I have my wife and I have my family, and I do too. And I am thankful for that accountability and that amazing responsibility. But let me just say this I'm also thankful for brothers that God has given me and put in my life that I am able to speak into them and they are able to speak into me. And we need that. If we set ourselves apart from that or cut ourselves off from that, we are putting ourselves in danger. But just think about what Scripture says. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Serve one another. So the gospel has changed our lives so that it propels us to serve and love others. Goes on. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Remember, Blessed are the peacemakers, not blessed are the troublemakers. So just keep that in mind. He goes on, help one another, accept one another, have equal concern for one another, carry one another's burdens, be kind and compassionate to one another. Let me just lay this before us this morning. You will never be compassionate for someone that you don't know their story. If you don't know their story, you're going to see them as a problem. You're going to see them as messy. You're going to see them as someone you want to stay away from. But when you begin to hear their story, understand their story, and love what God loves, you're going to have compassion upon them. Then it goes on. Forgive one another. Bear with one another. Encourage one another. Here's the tough one. Confess your sins to one another. Ooh. Ooh, that gets a little hot in here. Pray for one another. Commit to one another. And these things happen not here and amidst this big uh, group, but it happens when we gather together in smaller groups that we can live out these things together. Let me just say this. The, The one another verses are impossible. They're impossible if you only attend church, but you don't belong to one. Let me say it again. Living out the one of the verses are impossible if you only attend church, but you don't really belong to one. For ultimately, all of these things that are really good for us, we're going to be worked out as we live um, our lives out together. I tell you, I love this church. My family loves this church. I, I love the fact that Malachi has been here for a year and a half, but he loves his church. This past week, I was walking them up to Sheffield, and there's a teacher there, a, a, a worker. Her, na- her name was Miss Church. And I said, Malachi, say hey to Miss Church. And he said, you're not Miss Church. I have my church. And she was like, no, my name is Miss Church. He said, no, you're not my church. My church is my church. And I said, he really loves his church. And she said, well, that's really good. And I, I wish to God more of us really loved our church in um, and, and that way. But here's what I've learned. There's really two reasons why people give, why they don't join the church. One is that they put their eyes on all the messed up people within it, what they call hypocrites. So therefore, because all the hypocrites that are in the church, they stay away from the church and they say, I don't want nothing to do with it. Apparently, those people are looking for a perfect church without realizing they would never be allowed in. So it's amazing how that works. I want the perfect church, and then I wouldn't be allowed to join it. It's amazing how that happens. Last week, I came across um, some amazing words from Bob Russell, and I must say I stole these from Jordan, who who posted these. Um, But these words are incredible. And he says this, Just because someone plays Beethoven badly doesn't mean Beethoven was a bad composer. And just because someone lives the Christian life poorly doesn't mean that Jesus isn't worth following. God doesn't ask you to be like Christians. He asks you to be like Jesus. So just understand that picture. Yet, pursuing Christ while ignoring the body of Christ, ignoring what Christ died to build, is to reject the purpose of Christ. It's not good enough to say, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. Let me just give my example. Jesus is the head of the church. We're the body. That's like saying, I love my wife's face. It's just her body I don't like. See... Say that and see where that gets you. That will get you a seat or, or a bed on your couch or probably somebody else's. And the thing is, if it doesn't work for our wives, it shouldn't work for Jesus. shouldn't work for him. We, he died to purchase the church. Now, the second reason people use is kind of the other side of the coin. People say, the church is just a place for perfect people and I'm too messed up to join. And the problem is they look at their own messed up lives and they look at the lives that we sometimes pretend that we have. Let me preach to us for a second. Oftentimes, guess what happens many, in, in many instances all across this room? We drive to church and we have the biggest fight with our wife on the way here. Or we scream and yell at our kids on the way here. And the second we open our door, there's another brother and sister right outside. And how you doing, brother? I'm good. <laughs> Never been better. You just pull it to church and you're lying through your teeth. Now, granted, we don't want to share everything on this going on in our lives in, in that way, but here's the problem. Christ died to free us from that nonsense of fake it till we make it. We don't have to fake it. We don't have to act like everything is okay in our lives. Christ freed us from that nonsense. In fact, when we try to put on our halos and our wings before we come to church, oftentimes what we do is keep people who walk in who are hurting and need what we have, we keep them from actually Coming to what we have because of the way we're pretending. Brothers and sisters, we need to put that aside. Christ died to free us from that nonsense. Our goal is not to fake it until we make it. Our goal is to continually fall upon the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. And to honestly do that together. There are issues that you will go through and that I will go through. That we need each other to help us through them. I love the words of Matt Slicato, and we're going to put this on the screen. I'm going to show you this, and then we're going to look at two more verses, and then we're going to finish, I promise. But he says this, questions can make hermits out of us, driving us into hiding. So our doubts, our fears, our bad days can lead us not to the church, but lead us away from the church and drive us into hiding. And he says this, yet the cave has no answers. Christ distributes courage through community. He dissipates doubts through fellowship. He never deposits all knowledge in one person, but distributes pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to many. When you interlock your understanding with mine, and we share our discoveries, when we mix, mingle, confess, and pray, Christ speaks. And the problem is, many are missing out on that. Let me just speak to parents real quick. I know this is going to sound a little harsh. But parents who raise their kids to think that church is optional will raise kids who will see Christ as unnecessary. Let me just say that again. Parents who raise their kids to see church as optional will raise kids who will eventually see Christ as being unnecessary. Brothers and sisters, we need the church. Our kids need the church. And we need each other. Let me just, I want to lay two verses before you. If you can just turn there to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I want to show you just two verses. If you don't have it, I'm going to read it and you'll be able to to follow along. But in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 24 and 25, it says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let me just lay this before you. Now, obviously, in one standpoint, this passage does seem to warn us about skipping church, but its focus goes a whole lot further than that. This passage doesn't necessarily say that when we skip church, we hurt ourselves. What this passage says is that when we, when we skip church, we, we hurt others. Meaning the first sin of skipping church is the sin of failing to love each other. Realizing there are brothers and sisters who need you. There's brothers and sisters who need your encouraging words, who need your prayers, who need you to bear their burdens. And when we neglect that, it's to their detriment. Now, granted, it's to ours as well, but we are failing to love our brothers and failing to love our sisters For gathering with God's people is ultimately not about us being blessed, but us being a blessing. It's ultimately not about us receiving, but us giving. It's not ultimately about our needs being met, but coming together because we understand that mankind has a greater need, which is Jesus, and we come together because we want that need to be fulfilled. Let me just end in in, in this way. just want to kind of lay this over you, and then we're about to... Just spend some time and kind of move forward in maybe a different way than we normally end our services. But in what way are you at this point valuing the church that Jesus died to build? What way are you valuing the church that Jesus Christ himself died to build? Do you value the church? Do you see its value? Are you letting this picture of, well, they're hypocrites or I'm just too messed up, keep you from being a part of that which God designed you to be a part of? And place you in. Are you living out the one another verses. With other brothers and sisters. Are you loving one another. Serving one another. Praying for one another. Even confessing your sins to one another. Are you living that out. In a way that's producing good for you. And good for others. Are you truly living in relationship. With other brothers and sisters. Like I said earlier. I, I, I get it that my wife is an amazing woman of God. But there are times where. I look at my wife and I go, I brush her off. She's speaking truth to me. She knows me better than everybody else. But I kind of brush her off, and it's amazing how we sometimes do that. But yet, let a, another another man come into my life and speak, and it's hard to brush that off. And I'm, I thank God for the relationship I have with my wife, but I also thank God for men that God has placed in my life that are speaking to me, and I'm thankful for that. And thankful for those relationships or think about this what what steps might you need to take to be a part of something that is eternally beneficial for you and for others oh that god would help us to see that we are a called out people but we are also a called together people and there is great benefits in that for our eternal good here's what we are about to do and this is going to sound a little weird and this is going to be way different than what we normally do we are we're going to end our time together today just rejoicing in and celebrating communion together. And so what I want us to do is sometimes we we kind of come to this point, this table, and what 1 Corinthians 11 calls an unworthy manner. The Bible tells us whenever we come to the Lord's table, we are not to come in an unworthy way. We are to come in a humble way, in a celebratory way. And in order for that to happen, it means that sometimes we need to ask God to search us and know us and to reveal things to us and then prepare ourselves for for this to understand that what we are doing is we're remembering what Christ did for us that Christ did for you what you could not do for yourself now we'll also say this that what we're about to do as a people of God is not for everyone in this room if you are not a follower of Christ we would beg you do not participate in this um, this is for followers of Christ. Jesus um, was very clear in that. Scripture is very clear on that. Um, if you are here and that's you, we ask you to participate in this way. Watch us. And I pray that what you'll see is people who are humbled, um, humbled at this table, that we come and we're recognizing that it is the broken body of Christ. It's His shed blood for us. Or as we've said, the gospel can be define in four words christ in my place it's the picture christ in our place so we're gonna just call you right now just to go to the lord in prayer right where you are and just seek the lord right where you are just spend some time praying and then i'm gonna pray and then we're gonna stand you up and kind of tell you what's going to happen um next so let us pray together Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he has done for us what we could never do for ourselves, and we thank you that you have brought us into a global family, God, brothers and sisters, it goes so much wider than we could ever imagine. It's a universal church, all times, so many people but also it's a relational church, and we thank you, God, for the churches that you have placed us in. We thank you, Father, for the brothers and sisters that you have placed in our lives, and help us, Lord, not to neglect you, not to neglect the gift that you've given us through your Son, but also help us not to neglect each other. God, I pray that you would just put brothers and sisters in our lives that we can live out the one another verses with God, our human nature is we run from accountability. But yet your word tells us there's benefit, it's beneficial to have accountability in our lives. It would help us to put ourselves in a accountable relationships with other brothers and sisters who walk with us through life, who miss us, who hold us accountable. Thank you for the church. Help us to give ourselves to it. God, I pray for anyone in this room today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation for them. Today would be a day that they understand that they are lost in sin, that they cannot save themselves. And Jesus, you have done for them what is necessary for salvation. Help them to fall upon you, to lean upon you. To confess and acknowledge, Jesus, that your shed blood, your broken body, you being buried, rising from the dead, all a part of your sinless life, sending to heaven, Lord, it brings salvation to us. It affirms it in our lives. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, as we approach this, your table, we do so in a humble manner. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we thank you that as we come to this table, we're not earning grace We're not earning anything, we're celebrating Christ, what you have done for us. It is your body, it is your blood for us. Thank you for this time, in Jesus' name, amen. If you can go ahead and stand with me, I'm gonna ask our deacons to come forward Here's what's going to happen in just a second as soon as the band is about to start singing and um, our deacons will dismiss you and what we'll ask you to do if you're on this side you're going to come this way if you're over here in the middle you're going to come this way um, and over here this way what we always ask you to do is, is please take your time but also remember people behind you but as you come to the table just pick up the bread and just say to yourself or out loud His body take it and pick up the cup and say his blood and then say for me that's what we're celebrating today his broken body his shed blood for us and then make your way back to your seat and continue to stand and just sing with us that we are able to come to christ something beautiful that takes place in this moment so let's pause and let's humbly come to this table